0: I want to ask you a question this morning, and that is, why are you here? Now, some of you may say, well, I I come to hear a good sermon. I'm going to keep coming back until I hear one, but why? I'm not talking about why you're at church, but why are you here? For example, if I ask you to go to the corner of West Broadway, right here in front of our church, and Central Avenue, right there at the corner, I want you to stand there between three and five o'clock, this afternoon, What is the first question you would ask me? Why? Yeah, exactly. I might say, why do you need to know why? Why would you need to know that? I mean, I'm your pastor, don't you trust me? <laughs> you know, But you'd want to know why. Now, you would ask that because you would say, hey, I don't want to waste my afternoon. Tell me why you want me to be on that corner between three and five this afternoon. Well, we asked that about our afternoon, so why would we not ask that about our life. Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company uh, said, the secret to success is to find what it is in life that you are supposed to do and then do it. Well, as we open up today in the Bible into the book of Ecclesiastes, the answer to that question of why we are here and what is God's plan, will, purpose for your life will not be found in this book. All right. I know I don't want to be discouraging to you, but we're going to have to go to another book to find out what the answer is, because this book is a book of questions. It's a book that really one writer said could even belong before the book of Genesis, because it's like a, a sermon int- introduction. It's like when I uh, just ask you a question, I start off with a question and I'll have other questions. And then the goal of the message is to answer those questions. Sometimes in a movie or a television show, they'll give you a teaser at the front to ask you a question in your mind, and you're wondering, what is the answer? Well, as Solomon, who wrote this book, was looking at life, he came to the conclusion that he had no conclusion. And the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes is all about questions, and it has no real answers, not really, not that we can really apply to our life, And so I want to read a couple of verses here for you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of, in, in Jerusalem. Now we know that this man was Solomon because he's the only one that meets this description, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of all, all is vanity. What does man gain by the toil which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around the north, and around and around it goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is never full. To the place where the stream flow, they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Verse 14, I've seen everything under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, and striving after the wind. Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases misery or sorrow, Wow, that is such an encouraging passage, isn't it? Let's just go home on that upward note. No, he's asking questions of life that many of us ask ask as well. And as we read this, we, we understand just for a moment that there are three different key phrases in the book. Vanity of vanities, everything's a void. Everything is emptiness. Then he says, under the sun, that means right here on earth. That's the key phrase. And then chasing after the wind. It's just, no matter what you do, it's like it's, it's useless. Well, as we look at this, we're going to have to then come to the New Testament to get the answers to life. We have graduates today. They are going on to a new venture in life. Some of them going to college, some into the armed services, some uh, have graduated from college, and they're going to be going to look for a job or maybe to go to graduate school. Their decisions to make, their transitions in their life. And so, Somewhere along the line, you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I doing standing on the street corner uh, between 3 and 5 this afternoon? What really is my life all about and why is that important? And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at, first of all, the struggle with the purpose. Secondly, where do you find it? New Testament. And then what is it, finally? All right, let's look at this. Why do we struggle with purpose? Well, Solomon tried everything. He tried to find everything to find a purpose in life. We look at the outline, you might say, or the introduction in chapter one, but then in verse two, chapter two, he really then tells us everything he tried. And then chapter three and following, he says, this is what I tried in detail. And he goes over the same stuff. What did he try? Well, he tried pleasure. If I just get enough enjoyment out of life, I'll be satisfied. But in chapter two, verse one, he said, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Behold, this was vanity, voidness, emptiness. He tried work, chapter two, verses four through 11. Wealth, just showered himself with his wealth, great wealth, the richest man in in the known world at that time. And then he says, well, that doesn't satisfy either, so I'll, I'll try wisdom. I'll get philosophical about things. And as he does that, we understand when he calls himself the preacher in verse 1. Now, we think to ourselves, well, the preacher, that's someone that gives information, right? It's someone that gives the answers. And I'm trying to give some answers this morning. This word in the Hebrew can also mean teacher. And it can also mean sort of a group discussion leader, teacher, or it can mean philosopher. And that's really what he's getting into in this book. He's getting into philosophy of life. He's looked at life. He's done everything. He's tried everything. Nothing satisfies in life. It's just striving after the wind. Everything under the sun is just striving after the wind. Finally, he just gives up. He tries apathy. I'm just going to live a carefree life and not even ask the questions. And that didn't satisfy either. And so in our, in our world today, what kind of philosophies do we have? And looking at the purpose to life. Well, one comes right out of humanism. Man is at the center of the universe and not God. I'm my own God. And so there is no purpose in life because there's no purpose in birth, there's no purpose in death. And so you find the meaning in between those two things. And how can you do that? Because, well, you make the world a better place. Just make the world a better place. To live. The philosopher would say, no, look in verse four, a generation comes and a generation goes. How many of you can say today that you remember your great grandparents or great, great grandparents? You know, you, you find all kinds of statues and things. I, I went to Washington DC and I was in the Capitol building looking at all these little head statues of all these people that were the founding fathers and people that had great inventions. I did see the guy that invented air conditioning and he was my favorite guy of all time, you know, living in Florida. But I, I thought, I, you know, I know history real well. And I, I, I don't remember that guy. Don't remember this one over here. I don't remember that one. It just seems like it's really all vanity. I mean, I'm, I'm making the world a better place. I remember watching a movie and it was a musical. And uh, there, was a, there was a big battle that was about to take place in the inner city. And this guy gets to the heap of a barrier. And he does what of course he needs to do, getting ready for battle. He sings a song. He breaks out in a, in a song and he asks the question, if I were to die right now, anyone, would anyone remember me if I fall? I think that was the phrase. Would anyone remember me if I fall? And the philosopher here in Ecclesiastes would say no. Solomon said no, no one, We'll remember you. If there's no meaning in the front, no meaning in the back, there's no meaning in between. He says, "What difference does it make? The world's just going to all end one day. It's like, it's like for, for you and I. Like, for example, I I'm, I realize we may have some environmentalists in here, and uh, don't mean to corner you or anything like that. But some people say, well, the whole world's going to end 2030, and if we don't do something right now, the the philosopher would say, so what? It's like If you're on a plane and it's in a nosedive and you know you have 90 seconds to live and somebody says, i found a bomb under the seat. we've got to defuse it or we're gonna die in 30 seconds. So what? We all come, we all go. Where is the meaning to all that? Then he says, or at least in our world, there's pleasure. We copy really what the philosopher was saying here. Let me try just to enjoy life. But he says, no. That doesn't work. Verse eight, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. He goes on in the book to talk about pleasure and seeking pleasure, and it just, it's all in emptiness. Now you think about it and how we feel about things today and how people believe about things. You can see it Uh, you know, on comedies, on television where somebody says, oh, you know, there's no such thing as love. It's just a chemical reaction. We're just a a body full of molecules and chemicals. And even when you go and hug your grandchild or child, it's just a chemical reaction. There's nothing really to do. It's not really real. Well, if we're just an an accident of the molecules, what are we really saying? and seeking out pleasure don't talk to me about tomorrow and he was saying this in an apathy and uh, the the preacher was the the philosopher Solomon he's saying in apathy it doesn't matter I don't even want to ask the question anymore what life is all about I just want to live for today and live for the pleasure today but there's also something that grows out of existentialism and I think this is the most popular one perhaps of our day and that is life has no meaning. It has no meaning at birth, has no meaning at death, but you have to defy life by finding meaning to life on your own. Just defy it. Just look at it straight in the eye. The lack of meaning is I'm gonna find meaning anyway. J.D. Lang, philosopher said that you really need to be insane to really find the answers to life. I remember watching a a movie back when I was young, a teenager, and uh, it was called The Man of La Mancha. I know there's a novel and all that written by that, but I'd never read that. I just went to the movie. I had no idea what it was about. And here I am, I'm thinking to myself, I'm sitting there, I really work hard for my money. I can't believe I paid to see this movie. And I just didn't get it at all. And it was about a man, I think Richard Harris was in it, uh, I think. And it was about a man who uh, wanted to be a knight. He believed that there were knights. There were no knights. There was no uh, round table. There was nothing like that. But he he pretended all of his life. And really, at the end of the movie, it was like, okay, he's insane. He's pretending, and that's how he finds meaning to life. And you look and you say, well, my goodness, what's the problem there? It's under the sun. Solomon is saying everything is un- under the sun has no meaning. What is the answer? Again, you won't find it in this book. I want us to take a moment and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in this chapter, um, God, I believe, led me to this chapter because it explains so many things, many of which we will not have time to get to today. But I want to zero in as fast as possible on what we're talking about this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses are all about the afterlife. It's about above the sun, not under the sun. Look in verse 1. For we know that the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. It's talking about our human body. One day it's going to die. It's going to be destroyed. We have a building from God, a house made with hands eternal in the heavens. It's talking about the afterlife. It's talking about going to heaven. He says in verse 8, yes, we are a good courage, And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be absent, he says, from our body, the tent is to be with the Lord. Well, he says this tent's temporary. But then we look at verse 14 where we find, where we find the answer. Verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. Meaning God, Jesus Christ, the love of Christ controls us. And we've concluded that he died on the cross for our sins. And now we're dead to sin. For we died for all and those who live might no longer live for themselves. Notice that. That there's going to be a change in our hearts so much that we're no longer going to live. And the purpose of life maybe now doesn't center around me. But maybe it centers around others. It says, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard one according to the flesh. No one, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. In other words, we don't look at the now so much. We don't look at the secular. That's what secular means, now. We don't look at the now so much. We understand there's something above the sun. There's something that's more than just under the sun. Because otherwise it has no meaning. There's something else. We don't look at everyone according to this tent, this life. And then he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's saying, look, here's, here's the answer to it all. It's Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He comes to live inside of our heart. He changes our life. We're no longer living for the self. We're living for others. And so hence, there is the purpose in life, others, and reaching out to others. Now, long before this comes in this book, in chapter 5, Jesus has already established the answer. Now, I was in, uh, back when I was in college, in a Christian college, um, I often ask myself the question, even ask some professors, and at first I just thought uh, one thing, and then they, they corrected me on it. But in John 1.1, 1, 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I thought, why would John talk in riddles? Why would John talk and write that gospel in such a way that it would confuse me? unless I had a teacher. Why? Back in John's day, the Greek philosophers were looking for the logos. And that's the, Hebrew, the Greek word. For, word. He, they were looking for the logos. And they interpreted more than just being a word. It meant the reason for something. They were looking for the logos to life. And they concluded there was no reason for life. There, no, there was no logos to life. And John was saying, no, I have the answer. Jesus has the answer. He is the reason. And the beginning was the reason. And the reason was with God. And the reason was God. And the reason became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten son of God. He is the reason for life. He's the reason for existence. He is the purpose in life. The answer is above the sun. We start off in our... Evangelistic diagram, we t- start off with God's design for our life. God's design is for us to walk with Him, to have fellowship with Him, to be more like Him, but something happened. Sin happened to our life. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And we went through, therefore, brokenness in our life. We were broken before the Lord. And because we were broken, we've, we have broken homes, we have broken lives, we have broken hearts broken minds. Everything's broken. But Jesus was the answer. He came along and died on the cross for our sins. And when he died on the cross, he took on all of our sins for us to bring us back, therefore, when we received Christ, all the way back to God's original design for our life. And that is the reason. Now, why is that important? Why is the purpose to life that important? Well, it brings clarity to life. It brings a clarity to why you would stand on the corner between three and five this afternoon it brings clarity to life on why you're here and what you need to do and that's so important some of you are uh the young people are trying to decide what god maybe wants them to do with their life well if they know that it narrows the decisions it narrows the mistakes that could be made for example i know i'm called into the ministry i've been knowing that for many many years a few decades in fact So somebody comes along and says, well, as a young person, I'm going to offer you this job or this job or this opportunity. No, I I said no to those things because that just, I had clarity in my life. It brings direction in the journey. What's the next step? Well, you don't know. But if you have purpose in life, if you know why you're here, it's going to help you with the next direction. It's going to help you with a passion to life. You're gonna know the score, you might say, and it's gonna revitalize you and and keep you going when you get those rewards, like uh, maybe in a video game, you you get the score. You know, really living life without a purpose and not knowing your purpose is like playing basketball with no goal. I haven't experienced that very much, but I'll tell you what I did experience this past week. My wife is um, visiting um, one of my kids, one of our kids, and a birthday, that kind of thing. She'd been out of town. So I decided I didn't have anything else to do. I went out to the driving range and hit a few golf balls because I've been kind of working on my swing. kind of need to do that. I mean, especially the driver. It's not that I'm not hitting it good, but I'm kind of using too much of the golf course. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> too, too much of it. Not even the hole I'm on sometimes. So I said, I'm going to go and work on that. And so it was near dark. It was a Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night. And uh, it was near dark, but I I hit a few uh, short, shorter irons just so I could get warmed up. And I saw those balls, and they were going, okay. And so uh, I teed it up, took my driver out, hit the first couple, and I saw them. I thought, well, that's that's not bad. I'll make this adjustment. And then after that, it got dark. I know some of you have been out to the same driving range, and you can see your balls. You can still see it. But I think maybe I was hitting it so far. No, that's that's not. Never no, my eyesight's not the greatest in the world, so it gets out into the dark, I can't see it. So I hit one, where did that one go? Well, I hit another one that could sound sounded like it's down the middle, but I don't see it. And over and over and over again, I kept, and finally I had about half a bucket of balls left. I just left them there. Why should I do that without any feedback whatsoever? And that's the way life is. When you do not know your purpose, how do you know what, when you win? When when you do something good or do something you need to adjust, how do you know if you don't know your purpose? It's a fulfillment in life thing, as Henry Ford said. Find out what it is God wants you to do or it, it was meant in life to do, and then do it. Instead of looking at the end of your life, you can become 80 years old and say, I've wasted it. I've just wasted my time. I don't even know what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to live. I just sort of lived it day by day just like living like with germs off the street. Well, what is the purpose then? What is the purpose? Now, before I get into the rest of this, uh, these verses, let me just say I acknowledge the fact that there's a general will for everyone's life. It's God's will that you receive Jesus into your heart. It's God's will that you grow in the grace of God that you obey him. In verse 14, it says, for the love of Christ controls the lordship of Christ, Is told us about right there. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why do we do that? In order to glorify God with our life. That's God's general will. He says in Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So this is a general will. There's also a specific will. Again, some of you graduating, you're looking for the next step. You're looking for God's will for your life. Uh, Paul said over and over again, like the beginning of this book, for example, he says, I'm called to be an apostle. And so we have callings in life. We have specific, uh, God says, the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And we look at this for ministry, vocation, Ministry in the church, vocation as well, marriage. What is it that God wants me to do? I need God's wisdom in my life. How am I going to get that? Praying, reading the scripture, looking at yourself and saying, what's my talent? What's my spiritual gift or gifts? What are my experiences? What are my desires and passions in life when I'm really following the Lord? And we pray about it. We hone things down and we talk to other people, including parents and godly leaders, and we come to the conclusion, yes, I have a peace in my heart. This is what God wants me to do with my life. That's a specific will. But no matter what it is, God could be calling you to be an engineer. God could be calling you to be a professor, a teacher, a business person. Whatever it is, it all funnels down to one thing, an ultimate will, an ultimate purpose. No matter what your general will, wherever you are in Christ, how mature you may be, what your spiritual gift is, how you're involved in the church as a teacher, as a greeter, as a deacon, involved in the music ministry, it all funnels down to one thing. And we find it here in verse 18. He says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's what he's done. We were enemies of God, the Bible says in Romans 5.10 we're enemies of God, and God brought us together through Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. He says, us to give us, to give us, verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, he explains that, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, forgiving them of what made them enemies of God, forgiveness of sin, and Listen to this, underline this word, entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting us. now, God's trusted us with something. He's like he's passed the baton. He's given us a precious treasure. He's, I'm going back up into heaven. I'm ascending up into heaven. I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to give you a treasure. I'm entrusting you with something. And that is the, the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel. Of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, "I have a burden. Let me tell you why I came." Jesus said, "I came," he says in Luke nineteen ten, "the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost." What is the ultimate will? Well, Jesus said, as I'm in John chapter twenty near the end of his ministry, back at the end of his ministry, he said. As the Father has sent me, I have so send you. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the last words before the ascension. Go and teach all nations about the gospel. Acts 1.8, let me tell you why Jesus said, I'm going to give you power of the Holy Spirit. He says, so you will be my witnesses in all the world. Now, I know there's some objections to that. We're talking about something here difficult, difficult. And you may be thinking, I just don't think I can do that. I just don't want to do that. I just don't see maybe the biggest need. I mean, if people want Jesus, let them come to Jesus. Let them come to church. Let me share with you a few facts. Lost people are a loss to God. Those who do not know Jesus Christ are a loss to God. The gospel is the answer. He says in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Not making his appeal through us, we implore you. We implore you. Oh my goodness. We urge you, we implore you, we almost like it's we're begging of you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, Your life has been changed. And now you've been called to a whole different realm. You're an ambassador for heaven to earth to share the same message that reconciled you to God, to to bring you were brought back. You're you're being brought back to the original design of God. And look, we want you to share that same message, Jesus said, so everyone will come full circle one day. Make it to heaven because Jesus is the way to heaven. He says, this tent, he's talking about here an afterlife, and that afterlife has two places that we can go. And Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. Acts, the disciple said, uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, one of, the riot, one of the apostles said, there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved or people must be saved except the name of Jesus. And so there you have it. You say, well, why wouldn't I want to be an ambassador? Well, I'm too busy. I'm just busy. I'm just tired. Well, we're probably more tired than what we need to be. And, and COVID it maybe is an answer. Nobody really wants to get close to me, to talk to me. And I, I, I can tell you, I shared with the staff this past week, hey, I've been a at personal witnessing, more so in the last year than I've ever been in my adult Christian life, Ever. it's just been more difficult but things are opening up now but i want to ask you i want to center in on something i think this is important for all of us okay i want to ask you a question here do you believe this so of course yeah i believe it no do you really believe it i remember sitting at my church bogart baptist church and i'm sitting beside my dad during a vacation bible school commencement And I don't know how old I was. I was probably six, seven years old. My sister went forward to give her heart to Christ. My mother went forward to rededicate her life to Christ. What a day. I mean, people were up there crying, and it was an emotional experience. I looked up to my dad, and I said, "Um, Daddy, don't you believe this? He didn't even look at me. He just kind of went like this, and he says, Well, I believe it, I guess, but... I just don't believe it that strongly. I don't believe it enough. Well, later he did. A few years later, he gave his heart to Christ and was very passionate about Christ. In fact, his goal was at one time in his life to, to share Christ with everybody in Athens, Georgia. Everybody, knock on every door. But did we, do we believe this really Enough. Do we believe that there's something else besides this? Somebody says, well, you know, I know I need to witness, but I know the argument. Hey, you know, I don't want to export you know, necessarily what I have because, my goodness, things aren't going for me just perfectly right now. Or I know what the arguments are, but I mean, they seem to be okay now, maybe, maybe later. I remember right after I found out about, really thought through heaven and hell and what it means to not get there and get there. Um, My bus left Athens, Georgia. We lived in Bogart, so we were the last people off the bus. Two guys that were kind of friends of mine, better than acquaintances, but not the closest of friends, was talking about how they were gonna uh, meet their mom on the route, and they were gonna go into Athens, go into town. I know that sounds really backwoods in country, but folks, you know, eight miles, it was a long way back then, And you got into town, you got into the shopping center, and you got to shop around and run around the town. I mean, back then, you didn't worry too much about getting abducted, so you just had, you know, we went anywhere we wanted to go. So this was a good thing. It's like, we're going to Disney World. I mean, not quite that much, but almost. And so he got off the bus, got into the car, and I'm thinking to myself, man, what a lucky guy. What a lucky guy getting to go to town. But I didn't know until the next day, two miles down the road, they had an accident, a car accident, and one of those guys died. And the first thing that thought, for the first time in my life, I've never thought this before, but because of the context where I was coming, I said, God, is he in heaven? He never mentioned anything about God. I wasn't even a believer at the time. It's so easy to say, we're not going to think about that. We're going to be like the the philosopher. I'm just going to live my life, and I'm not going to think about the big question. The Bible really talks about this place, hell, more than it does about heaven. And whatever you think it is, it's eternal because that's how long it takes to pay for your own sin. I remember... Having a, showing a video here, and I, I wasn't going to show it again, it's kind of long, but Penn Jillette, a pen and teller, was telling a story, of him himself being an atheist, devout, devout atheist, um, was given a New Testament by a guy that was one, at one of his shows. And he says, look, I, you know, I want to give you this little Gideon New Testament and if you don't mind taking it. And he thought maybe he was going to get mad about it. He says, no, I'd love to take it. And he says, well, you know, sometimes people think that we're kind of pushy and, you know, I just don't want to be pushy with it. He says, listen, I don't believe any of this, anything in this book, but you believe it. And if you believe what's in this book, how bad would you have to hate me not to tell me about Jesus Christ? When I think about those things, I realize something. Yes, thinking about eternity did get my attention. It did. That day as I I, I thought about that guy getting in the car, that 12-year-old kid for the last time I'd ever seen. I thought about that. It got my attention, but it it really didn't get me saved. I mean, I came to know Christ by the goodness of God and the love of Christ, but it got my attention. And that's one of the reasons why we need to believe it. But there's also another reason is that I know that if Jesus Christ makes the difference between heaven and hell, it's going to motivate me as a believer to realize that everything I do funnels down to one thing am I a reconciler being entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ to share the gospel with those who I come in contact with it's all summed up isn't it where Jesus said this he said to them to his disciples follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. Follow me. Why follow Jesus? What do we do to follow Jesus? Oh, there's a lot of things, but it all funnels down to that one thing. Making a difference in people's lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I want you to pray for me. I want to renew my burden. I want to Renew my opportunities. I want to be intentional about my personal witnessing. Again, I'd like for you to join me, and you would say, "Hey, I want to be." In, you don't have to write down anything, but I want to be intentional. In fact, God, I pray that you would give me an opportunity. I'm not going to force it, but I pray that you would give me an opportunity to witness, to share my faith with someone every week. He said, "Well, I don't know how." That's the reason why we teach these courses on how to share your faith. We're going to do it again through the small group sometime here in the fall. We're going to bring back the witness tree and you'll, you'll find out what that's about uh, a little later on. And then I want to ask you if you've never received Christ, it's time that you did. Young people, I challenged them yesterday morning um, right at the end of my five or ten minute speech to them, a little commencement speech to... Step up to the plate. Decisions are going to come in your life. And it's going to be making and breaking. Some decisions you can never pull back on. Boy, you need the wisdom of God. Right now, you need God's wisdom. Right now, you need to make sure that if you were to die today, and it could happen, today, that you'd go to heaven. How do you do that? by surrendering your heart to God, by humbly saying to God, God, I cannot save myself. I come to you. I come to you with no works of my own, not my upbringing, not my family, not my good works, not my church experience. I just come to the foot of the cross asking forgiveness like the worst sinner in the world. I'm just here for you. God, would you come into, Jesus, would you come into my heart? If you'll do that, the Bible says, these things have been written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. How do we know that? Well, this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. So you can be reconciled to God today, right now, as we pray together with heads bowed and eyes closed. First, let me pray, or let me ask you as a believer Would you just say right now, God, you know, there's just a lot of things going on in my life. I know that's true, but I want to be intentional about my witnessing. I want to live for someone besides me and even outside of my family. Because many of you, um, because of who you are, because of where you are right now in life, you have to invest so much in your family. But even beyond that, God, I want to be one that is a reconciler. You've entrusted me with the gospel. Help me to be intentional about my witnessing. And I pray for you. Would you do that right now? And then, let me ask those who have never received Christ to make that decision right now. Right now. That's the best time. Step up to the plate. It's just just time. Do it right now by praying this prayer with me. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. Thank you, Lord, that you want a relationship with me. You love me that much. And I want to invite you into my heart that you would forgive me of all my sins and make me the person that you want me to be and help me to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.